Good morning and welcome to episode 43 of the Cood Street Podcast. This morning we're coming to you live from Orlando, Florida, where in a time-honored tradition, a group of people who like science fiction gather around a bar and you know, try and work out a way to turn it into a tax deduction. This morning I'm, I'm joined as always by, hello Gary Wolf. Hello Jonathan, and uh, I am now prepared for your very mellifluous introduction. And good morning to my editor-in-chief, Liza Grantromby. Good morning, Jonathan. And good morning to the very pregnant. Hello. Hi, Karen Burnham. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very pregnant. I'm just somewhat you know, pregnant. A little pregnant. <laughs> and of course, coming to us fresh from the wilds of New Jersey, Jeffrey Ford. How you doing, Jonathan? I'm fine, guys. That's, that's why you just asked him what the wilds of New Jersey were. <laughs> you were faking an introduction again, weren't you? <laughs> you got to fake an introduction. It's not like we're going to plan anything. And also, I'm well, curious. I wanted Jeffrey to come up. There are lots of neat people here. Yeah. Uh, Je- Jeff is the only one I know for sure has listened to this podcast yep. before. So I'm very happy to have him here. And actually, I've got to tell you, I mean, I was being a little bit disingenuous when I asked about the wilds in New Jersey, Jeff, because I was looking at it on Google Maps, right? And I can see there's like just a shitload of forest around. But what yes. I'm interested in is the, the area is definitely like a inspiration for what you're doing because like the names of the streets are showing up in your stories like down Etsy and road all this kind of stuff so plainly it all pl- you know, comes together and is part of what you're doing in the wilds of new jersey it, th- th- there's a definite um sense of mystery to it <laughs> sentience almost uh some strange a lot of strange legends stories uh people who live there so I mean, yes, it's it's a rich uh, a rich area to draw ideas for fiction from. Didn't Lovecraft have a couple of New Jersey stories? If he didn't, he should have. Oh, he probably- <laughs> 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 just, in, in honor of Jeff, we're also having a bottle of the Sopranos Pinot Noir. <laughs> that, that also seems to be the theme of this thing, and I apologize to everybody out there who's a teetotaler. Uh, on one half of the conversation, people are getting are, are drinking and relaxing. Uh-huh. Why is that? Because it's breakfast time here. That's why. I can't. Oh, it's <laughs> breakfast time there. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, tell me. You guys have all been there for a couple of days. Ikfa, which is, I, I assume, is more than just an excuse to go to the bar, has been going for what since Wednesday. How's it all going? Why has it got here on Tuesday? Right? I, I got here on Tuesday. It's actually been really good. The weather has been cooperating fully instead of last year's wind and rain. <laughs> Or the year before is the 90-degree weather. Mm-hmm. Every day we've had sort of 75 to 80 with a light breeze. I approve completely. Mm-hmm. And um, we've had the guest of honor lunch- luncheon with Connie Willis, and she was entertaining and uproariously funny as always. And then we had a really intense uh, guest scholar luncheon today with Andrea Hairston, mm-hmm. which was... Uh, She's a really good speaker, but boy, she can pack some information into mm-hmm. a talk. Yep. So it, it's uh, on that front, on the official sort of convention front, it's been good. We had a professionals writing panel with Gary and I and Gwenda and Graham and Nisi as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, which actually turned out to be sort of a big chat. Well, <laughs> <laughs> rather than a panel. The, the idea of that panel was an interesting idea because it was an idea that was. Uh, thought up by Sidney Duncan. Um, And the idea was we're at an academic convention where many of the people are graduate students or professors or assistant professors 
whose encounter with writing about science fiction and fantasy consists of academic journals and uh, textbooks and literary theory. Yep. Sidney thought it would be a good idea to expose them to the idea that a lot of significant writing about this stuff occurs outside of academia. Yep. Um, and that was the idea behind it. I don't know if we ever, ever actually talked about that particular well, idea. Well, the, I think the main problem was that we had, uh, you know, 12 or 15 people in the audience of whom maybe three fit the description of academics who may sure. not have known this already. Uh, the <laughs> right, other exactly. Were Andy Duncan and Jim Kelly and, right. you know, There were a lot of familiar faces. <laughs> but I do think the interesting thing that we didn't pursue quite enough was where went the literary essay? Like, did it just go online? Or are there right. still literary essays happening? And uh, I think that would have been an interesting thing to pursue, although it wouldn't have filled the hour and a half. I, I think well, it would be interesting to know more for one reason. What I've noticed is looking around, you, there's only one kind of essay that seems to be written about science fiction or fantasy, and that's the real dry academic essay. And I think there's, it's a real... Um, it's, it's something we're really missing. And I know that there's a couple of people trying to do it online because you know, Salon, Salon for Cheryl Morgan's uh, site right. tries to do it. Obviously, Locus, which some of us are involved in, doesn't really have the practical space, and it's not really in, 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 in keeping with what we do. But I think there would be a lot of interest in an actual accessible, well-written, interesting essay about various aspects of the field. I don't know where it would come from, but... You know, and I don't know that long reviews, which are the most you normally see around, actually are the equivalent. I mean, I was reading a long review that Jonathan McCalmont wrote yesterday, uh, this week, about your book, Gary, Evaporating Genres. I read that myself. Which uh, was very complimentary, I thought. It was, but it, it was very much an effort at writing a literary essay. I mean, I, 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 I'm very appreciative, and Jonathan, thank you for... But on the other hand, there was a literary essay in front of the review before the book is even mentioned that's full of very interesting ideas about the ways people write about science fiction. That's what we were talking about. Jeff, you were going to... Uh, th there's a, a place, a writer who I did see online recently who had some really interesting... And he's an academic and a writer, uh, but uh, interesting essays. Uh, and I'm going to murder the guy's name. I feel bad. Uh, Reza Nagrastani. Okay. He's an Iranian writer. Yeah. And uh, he wrote a book called Cyclonopedia. And he, I just read a, a, an essay on his blog recently about the movie Willard. Yep. And it's a fascinating essay about the history of rats in horror uh, and what they represent as far as society goes and so forth. And it's not um, academic to the point where, you can, where a, somebody like myself can't understand it. Mm -hmm. Very enjoyable essay, but it's also very scholarly in a way. So I mean, there. Are, uh, once in a while, you'll you know you'll see somebody like him writing. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll find something like that on the web. But mm -hmm. yeah, far and few between, I think at this point, you know. But he's somebody I think uh, people should check out. Well, sure. I, do, I, I do think online, in a lot of ways, is the right venue for that. I mean, certainly our some of our reviews reach in that direction. Sure. And occasionally, on Locus, we run a think piece on something about. Mm publishing or something about writing, but I think really the people who are doing really thoughtful blog pieces are the ones who are doing literary essays now, and I don't know that the print publications are carrying that anymore. Yeah. Uh, there are very few print publications that would. The New York Review of Science Fiction uh, does an occasional think piece. There was a piece that I remember uh, years ago, there was a Northwestern University magazine called Triquarterly, mm -hmm. and they decided to do a science fiction essay issue and had a long essay by Aldous Budras 
on a kind of personal history of science fiction from somebody who, who grew up in it. And it was a classic example of an old-fashioned literary essay. It wasn't just a scholarly history, it was his perspective on the field. And today I just learned from our friend Andrew Ferguson, who is yep. uh, here. Andrew Ferguson is a is doing a dissertation on R.A. Lafferty. Yep. And he said one of the things he discovered in the University of Tulsa archives is a long philosophical essay by Lafferty about science fiction, which he said was absolutely brilliant. Oh, okay. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it as well. So and there are things like that out there, but I think you're right. The only place for them now is, is the web. Well, there, there's also the uh, extrapolations that comes out of uh, right. University yeah. of Texas. I mean, it's, it's someplace in Texas. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. I met the guy here years ago, about 10 years ago. Yeah. And I just talked to him at a party, and since then I've gotten this magazine for free every month. And I can't remember his name. I feel sorry. I feel bad. But they've had. They have, that's the guy. Yeah. And he, there's some interesting uh, articles in that. They seem to deal though with uh, uh, older generation writers. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to see. I mean, there's a lot of Ursula Le Guin essays in there, so which is good. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to see ones of more, you know, contemporary current writers as well. Well, and you know, when we do our special issue things, like what we just did in January, we did the whole science fiction mm -hmm. in the digital age, which is full of, of essays uh -huh. about right. how genre writing is happening and how publishing is happening in the digital age. It just it doesn't bear up under the description literary essay in some ways. You know, it it, it doesn't have the intent of being. That. Yeah, they're kind of what you call think pieces. They're much shorter than a fully developed literary right. essay. Right. Yeah. yeah. I remember growing up reading essays by Edmund Wilson, for example, which just were they were magisterial and yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, you don't see much of, and the reason I think one of the reasons you don't see very many contemporary writers is that there is an issue in much of academia that it takes years for this stuff to percolate into academic consciousness. A couple of reviewers get close, I think, sometimes. Liz Hand in yeah. uh, Fantasy and Science Fiction, her reviews to me sometimes read like, uh, they're not academic essays, but they're in a lot of ways, more interesting. <laughs> but, but that, that's always been, that's always been the way with FNSF, though. I mean, apart from, I mean, they now you know, for some years have complemented it with shorter, sort of snappier reviews from Charles DeLint and a few other people. But generally, they you know, going back to the days of Aldous Budras and before, they're long, sort of thought through review essay kind of things. Well, uh, they the one published Joanna Russ. Joanna Russ was a yes. reviewer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they've always set a very high standard for it. Um, but I mean, it's, it's interesting as well to sort of see that. That that you're not seeing people attempt too much, other than at a blog level, I guess, to come to terms with what happened in the last, say, five years in science fiction and fantasy. I mean, I was thinking this morning when I knew that Jeff was going to join us on the podcast, that the last major encyclopedia that came out, for example, was the Clute Grant Encyclopedia of Fantasy, which I'm pretty sure if I were to crack it open, predates your career entirely. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Which, which just yes, goes to show, show how badly we did that. Bad. Wait a second, hold the phone. <laughs> well, it came out in '95. Yeah, that's true. So you know, and that which just goes to show that if you're not in there at all because you hadn't come, you know, you weren't, they weren't aware of you yet, the entire modern era of science fiction and fantasy has not really been codified that way. Which would well, be I kind of wonder if there will be another print. Edition of a science fiction cycle. There won't. Because the idea of the ever updatable encyclopedia is so much more appealing, in some ways, sure. because when you print that thing, it becomes static in time, and 
and is is immediately it's obsolete quickly, in some yeah. ways. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously there's always good information, but we use ours all the time. Oh, we yeah. refer to ours constantly. Mm. Yeah. However, you know. However, how, yeah, go, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, however, those are encyclopedia entries. And Clute and I have had conversations about this because uh, Clute writes in three or four different modes, but the encyclopedia is a summative kind of judgment. It includes cases, it always has an opinion, but it's not a literary essay. It's meant to give you information and an overview yeah. of a career. You know where you, know you will find uh, uh, some uh, interesting writing, uh, essay writing now? is from Aqueduct Press, yeah. uh, Timmy Duchamp's Press. Yeah. Uh, they'll have a whole, uh, you know, books uh, that are nonfiction, that are long essays or collections mm. of essays. Mm -hmm. And some of that stuff, I, you know, is very interesting. Uh, and then there's, you know, I guess uh, like Farrah Mendelssohn's books or, you know, collections mm. of your reviews or Clute stuff and, you know, uh, he had the long horror one, the, the horror the, essay. The, the lexicon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't seem like there's that mainstream crossover though, where people are writing yeah. the literary essay in the sort of mainstream literary world. Well, the mainstream, uh, the, the New York reviews, the New York review of books is always yeah, yeah. Uh, And there's the occasional one-off thing. There's uh, Jonathan Lethem's sure. last was an essay about the movie They Live. Yeah. Uh, but that was that was not. Well, first of all, it's not literary. It's a, it's a film essay. But that was really a Jonathan Lethem piece. Right. And. Uh, yeah, but, but don't you, it, it, it's also true, isn't it, that one of the big differences between the way mainstream fiction is regarded or handled and the way genre fiction is handled is you never get a major publication saying, we'll pay a journalist to sit around for a week, two weeks, four weeks, pay them a lot of money, resource them, and they can write one 6,000-word feature essay on something that we will publish in, our, in the Atlantic Monthly or in the New Yorker or whatever it is. Well, so actually, that's that's exactly what the New Yorker did last year with hiring this woman to follow Neil Gaiman around for about eight months. Mm. But what came out of it was not a literary essay yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah, okay. Interesting. Because that was a celebrity essay, essentially. Okay. Well, they do, you know, they have that guy, I think his name is Gurganus. Does he write for the, maybe I have no, the I wrong name. It's not Gurganus. It's, it's another guy who does their these essays, but they're kind of, and I didn't read the Gaiman one, but they had one on Dick, which was kind of like a. If you know anything about Dick, you knew all this stuff already. Yeah, you know? yeah. I forget what the guy's name is who did it, but he's done a couple of ones like I think that. I know who you mean. Yeah, yeah. it's not good games. So I had to. And that's what I was going to say about the. Stop myself. Is it in the end? It was sort of like, it was. It was sort of like a biographical snapshot yeah. in some mm -hmm. ways. It wasn't. It it wasn't that it wasn't, attempting to have a large overview, but it was. It was brief. And there wasn't a lot of opinion. There wasn't a lot of analysis. It was yeah. sort of a, here's what he does, and yeah. you know, wasn't really interesting with his work. And it didn't add anything. I don't think that the the thing about a literary essay is that the point of view of the author is where the the engagement for the reader comes in. It's, yeah. it's not necessarily about the facts that are presented, mm -hmm. but about the interpretation of the facts. Yeah. And I, you know, in those kinds of things, I don't know if you It was like that. a high school book report. You know <laughs> what I mean? One reason I'm... Gary. I mean, the things that make an essay that are about a set of facts or about an author but is the interpretation of the person who's writing it when it provides an insight that perhaps you didn't have. And when you have this, like, well, here's what... Here's where he grew up, and here's what he does every day, and here's this and that, or here's how he died and what drugs he took. You know, it's, <laughs> it, 
It doesn't necessarily provide something that's additive to that. You know, there was a there was a really great essay about Dick in uh, Rolling Stone years back. I mean, years ago. I can't even remember how long ago, but that was great. That had opinions in it, and right. it had the history, but it also had these ideas about him and so forth. And I forget who wrote it. Was it at Paul the time. Uh, Allen was Was it? Fix because I think that turned into a book. Right. I think it turned into a book called Only Apparently Real. Okay. But this is the one thing our, our, our listeners will correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> of course they will. That's why we have listeners. One reason I'm really happy that you've joined us, uh, Liza, is about two and a half months ago, Locus launched the digital edition of the magazine, which seems to have been, from my perspective at least, swimmingly successful. It has been really good. And one thing I'm sort of curious is, and it links into what we're talking about, is do you think that the opportunity of having a digital edition gives you the potential to be more flexible than what you might otherwise be? Or do you feel it always you'll, you'll always be um, focused on the same format that the print magazine is in? Will, you know, we follow, will we always follow the print template? Yeah, and also since we're talking about this kind of thing, uh, you know, where we're talking about a broader kind of criticism, whatever else, is there a different kind of flexibility now that we're that we're moving into this much more digital era for the magazine? Right. You know, I've thought about it because we we're constantly dealing with the issues of um, how to fit, you know, what's fit to print, and and how do you fit into these sixteen-page sections that we print on. Mm. You know, or eight-page sections. You know, we have these. You can be seventy-two. You can be sixty-eight pages with this much color and that much black and white. You can be seventy-two pages with this much color and sure. that much, and then you can be seventy-six. And so, if you need to add a half page because you have seventy-two pages and then there's an extra piece of something, someone dies or there's another ad that someone wants to run, and you have laid out for this much, then you have to go up to seventy-six pages, which means you have to add five and a half page or four and a half. Yeah. A little bad enough. You have right to add enough. more stuff. Whatever it is. You have to get more stuff. You have to add enough material to get to the next section of, of print that you can run. And it is very restrictive sometimes. We spend a lot of time talking about, well, if we want to run that international report, we have to come up with four more pages sure. of content, which is actually quite a bit at 1,200 words a page. Yeah. So, um, I have thought a lot about the flexibility that digital offers. As of right now, we're following the print mm. template directly because we're running the PDF version as one of it, and it is exactly mm. the magazine. Yeah, yeah. From a, I mean, almost entirely. The EPUB version, we do lay out differently, and certainly there's times when we've run, you know, appreciations for people who've died online because we didn't have room in the magazine, and we could have thrown them into the digital, but then have you explained to the print subscriber of course, that you yeah. Get that content. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, it's a that's a tricky question. Maybe we have a digital supplement. I don't. I. I well, do you feel it's on the verge of some kind of confluence? The magazine, the digital version, and the the, the website, which has separate, you know, content, you know, right. reviews and so forth. Seems like it's getting closer to coming together somehow, it's, or do you want them all to be separate? Well, no, it was very separate before. Before, yeah. the magazine had its content, and then the uh, website, the website had its own parameters for content. It ran a very small mm. amount of the magazine content, yeah. and then Mark Kelly did an excellent job building up the index to awards and keeping the index reviews and interviews posted and doing other news and other kinds of reviews. 
in the last three years, those the website has been running more magazine content, and now that we have the digital, and then we have the roundtable, it's it's definitely starting to become more of a multimedia project than just the print magazine. But we're still following the print template, and I think there would have to be a real shift in sensibility for us to decide that the digital magazine was going to be the lead item. And I could I could see it, but it would we would have to figure out how to make that print magazine come into some kind of parity with parody it. And sure. I don't know how that would work. Sure. Do you have any thoughts on how that would work? Me. Not at the moment, because we just, we just started talking. What I was wondering, actually, and it's something that I've noticed, is how do you feel that the, the culture around the reception of Locus has changed? Because, I mean, I've noticed a real change in how people are talking about Locus as a result of the digital edition, which I think is really a positive, exciting thing. I mean, this whole idea that, I mean, it used to be the only way you got a copy of Locus on publication day is if you're one of the dozen people who went up to the house in Oakland and you helped sort the, you know, it out to go into the mail and you got to take your copy home that night. Now, I can sit in Perth and have a copy. Tansy Rain Roberts can sit in Hobart and get her copy. And Farah Mendelssohn in the UK can have her copy all at the same moment. And it ch- seems to, to me, ch- changes how it all, it all is, it seems to me. And, and honestly, we've gotten just um, an amazing amount of positive feedback. You know, We've been around for so long that the, most of the fee- we get the occasional glowing feedback, like pre-digital. Most of the feedback we got were people, you know, sort of complaining about <laughs> 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 sort of various things, and mostly sort of, well, my magazine didn't show up exactly on the day yeah. that it was supposed to, you know, and but sh- things that showed dedication and appreciation for the magazine, but in the form of a complaint. <laughs> and now, now we are like. I got the best email from someone who said, I just sat down at my computer and opened up my Kindle uh, program mm-hmm. on my 26-inch monitor, and I read Locus without any continuations, and there were little exclamation points, mm-hmm. and the photos of the people were inside of their notes, and the covers for the books were inside the reviews for the books, and he said, this is the best experience I've ever had with Locus, I've been reading it forever. And thank you so much. And it was, it blew my mind. Like, mm-hmm. we had never gotten, you know, we've gotten the occasional, you guys are doing great, keep it up. But this was like, yeah. knock you out of your seat mm-hmm. kind of glowing praise. And and it's very, uh, it's very heartening, you know, at this end. And I think that it improves the whole, like, even, like, if Jeff wanted, so your friend says, oh, well, my book got reviewed. You should go get a copy. And you don't have a subscription. But what do you do? Like, I'd go call, call your borders up. Oh, hope they're still open. Call Barnes and Noble <laughs> see if they carry it this month because the distribution is sort of wacky. And mm. Or you call us and we charge you shipping and it'll be there in a week. Yeah. And now you can go from your friend's tweet over to the mm. site and buy an issue and download it and put it on your device. And, and that's that's an amazing thing, I think. Yeah. I was just talking to Sheila Williams today. Uh this afternoon, and, and she was saying that it took a lot of work for them to get there, but they've had quite a bit of success at Asimov's mm. too, uh, yeah. with uh, getting the, the the magazine on Kindle. And uh, she she said she you know the rise in uh, subscriptions and so forth from it. She's, you know, and yeah. she honestly yeah. was in some ways some of the inspiration for me to just jump. We've been talking about this since two thousand eight. Yeah. Oh, longer, and, um, longer. 
Yeah, well, but seriously, in yeah. 2008, I was seriously trying to launch something, and then I inconveniently got pregnant. Um, <laughs> but a fabulous thing, just bad timing. And and the um, but her success with it was one of the things that I was like, well, we just got to, we have to set a yeah. deadline, and then we have to announce it. it the, the number one way to get something done is announce it. Announce it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's been really good. And I'm glad you're hearing good feedback. I only get good feedback on it. Seriously, I mean, the worst feedback I've received about the digital edition of Locus is maybe a single copy of a PDF that didn't download or something, and they needed a fresh link, and they got it, so it was fine. But by and large, it's been... Everybody feels much more included in the process, I think. Everybody feels much more as though it's worth it because they're sitting there getting their digital news, you know, sort of by the minute from here or there. You know, they're following so-and-so on Twitter, so they know what they've done. Um... And they could pick up an online review here. So if Locus showed up, in some cases, six weeks after it was printed, they're beginning to go, I, I had friends saying to me, I know you work with Locus and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but what's the value to me of getting this six weeks after the, the fact? And now they're like squeeing, like I got my Locus and it, it just showed up and it becomes almost like this little cultural thing happens at the same time. It's like, oh, I got my, you got yours, where's mine? Oh, we all got it at the same time. Oh, and suddenly everybody's looking at it and they're tweeting a little bit about it and talk, all that kind of thing. And it really changes the feeling for it, which is great. Um, and I, I really like the fact that we can sort of re-enter international dialogue because it, you know, for a long time there was dialogue about it, but it was all on a snail mail pace. Right. And now that everything has sped up to this sort of instantaneous, real-time conversation, that being able to get Locus out and everybody gets it at the same time, that's really exciting. Yeah, it makes yeah. it part of the conversation again. Yeah. The other thing that makes it part of the conversation, which I think Karen gets some credit for, is that uh, the Locus Online website now has a podcast. It yep. has roundtable discussions. It has a lot of kind of real-time discussion. Uh, I know it sounds like this whole podcast is tuning into a Let's Celebrate Locus. Oh, I know. Sure, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking. You know, I've, I've been on a couple of Locus podcasts, and I've been in a couple of roundtables, and, 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 and Karen deserves credit for doing a good job and coming sure. up with yeah. sometimes provocative questions. And sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes she just lets you guys talk. So, so, well, well, the thing well, is, here's the thing about anything, because I've seen this at SF Signal, too. I've seen this in other places. Sometimes you come up with a question which by itself might seem to be falling flat, but somebody in answering the question oh, right. says something provocative. And thank and I have to say that one conversation that I think you're referring to that seemed like it might not go anywhere because yeah. pretty much everyone who was involved just like put out their disclaimer about how they weren't actually going to say anything about yeah. this topic. And then somewhere 10 or 12 post or responses yeah. down the line Somebody said something, and then and then the next time I looked, there were fifty-eight. Right. Yeah. And so it was a. It, it actually it, it just it had a little ramp up time, but it really got going. Well, no, and that's that's really been the thing is just the the quality of people who are willing to contribute to an email discussion like that, partly because of the goodwill of the Locus name, mm-hmm. uh, is phenomenal. And sure. you know, I send out a, a, a question or a, a prompt to a list of thirty or thirty-five people. And I've actually been checking with people here, because a lot of people here are on that list. And I say, I hope I'm not annoying you. And they go, oh, no, you know, if I'm busy, I just, you know, other people will pick it up. And mm-hmm. when I can, I chime in. And, you know, any subset of that 30 people is are going to be enough to have an interesting conversation with interesting things to say. And Jeff, you've, you've got really interesting, every time we get together, and it turns out you've read a lot more stuff and thought about it than... Uh, 
that it seems I might have. Very technical, Gary. Very technical. I was going to end that sentence in the wilds of New Jersey. I'm using you as an example because you're here, but I've been in email conversations with Guy K, who's got all kinds of interesting ideas. And I keep thinking, these ideas that we share at the bar at ReaderCon or that the guy emails to me ought to have a venue where other people can participate in these conversations. I, I make no comment about that. My own... Uh... Do you need a radio show? Okay. You know, <laughs> no, no. no you're, a, you're a smart guy and you should, you should let people know it. <laughs> not, not just with this fiction stuff. Well, you know, I see... I, well, well, the thing is, is like I see things sometimes that seem interesting that I, I notice that aren't being covered. Like this guy's book I mentioned before, the uh, the Iranian writer, yeah. Nagarstanik. This book is a fascinating book. I mean, uh, it, it, it proposes this idea that oil is this kind of sentient uh, thing that, cre that uh, feeds off war. Uh, you know, it's... Um, and it's written in a, it kind of reminds me of, uh, in ways of, um, uh, you know, the House of Leaves in a way, and the, uh -huh. and the structure of it and so forth. But I haven't seen it written about really much in, uh, you know, in I haven't seen it mentioned in Locust. So those, there, there are these avenues out there that, you know, these little kind of blind alleys or avenues where you find some, some yeah. of these gems like this. A good source of this stuff is uh, Jeff Vandermeer. Yeah. I mean, he's got contacts in, uh, you know, uh, international contacts now and so forth. So I get uh, quite a bit of this through, you know, through him and a number of other people. And I think w w as we open up here more to the international community, we're going to start to find more kinds of things like that. You know what I mean? Well, we were talking this afternoon, uh, Eliza and I had uh, an interview with uh, this year's Crawford Award winner, Karen Lloyd from Barbados. It's really fascinating. She was absolutely fascinating. And there's all kinds of stuff she knows about Caribbean and West African literature. That's exactly the kind of thing. In addition to which, but there's also this community where you find out that somebody who seems to come out of a completely different literary tradition just grew up reading Heinlein and Bradbury yeah, right. like the rest of it. So there is this community that's out there. And you're right, we're only starting to discover the, the tendrils that are uh, out there in the rest of the world. Uh, and again, that's something the internet has just made such a difference with. I mean, now you've got the World SF blog that Charles Tan and Robin Sadar mm -hmm. are. Yeah. With. Um, there's a short fiction magazine that I keep trying to raise their profile named uh, uh, Expanded Horizons that uh, gets a bit of international. Mm -hmm. I, 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 got, uh, I get books occasionally uh, from uh, uh, Charles uh, Tan in, in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. There's this whole community in the Philippines of, uh, of comics writers and artists and uh, SF uh, fantasy writers that doing some remarkable stuff. They have a really vibrant community there. So I think, you know, the uh, the, electri the the internet and so forth is opening that kind of stuff up, and it's really uh, exciting. And Jonathan, if I'm not mistaken, Charles Tan listens to us occasionally as well. He's actually tweeting questions at us even as I sp we speak. <laughs> <laughs> and, he actually hi, said, Charles. and he actually did say to say hi, Jeff, and hi, Karen, from him. So... <laughs> As, as it just so happens, I mean, because he seems to be interested in, what's he asking? What makes ICFA different from all of the other convention, uh, conventions out there, I guess? There's an alligator here. There's a ah! live alligator in the pond out here. I swear. Can I just say I'm relieved that it's not actually in the room, because that's what I thought you meant initially. <laughs> okay, let me give you a boring, pompous uh, academic answer to that. Uh, there, this is more like ReaderCon, I think, than any other uh, professional convention. 
there are a lot of academics, there are a lot of writers and editors and publishers, and there's there's interaction between that. What there are not a lot of are uh, fans, uh, people who go to conventions because they expect to see celebrities. There, there are some, and some some writers are fans and some academics are fans. Yeah. But by and large, uh, there's it's. It's, it's fairly difficult to find somebody that's boring to talk to. Yeah. I can name what some. <laughs> okay, just do it slowly, loudly, and clearly. <laughs> it is also very small. I heard the, uh, the attendance this year is about 400, possibly a little more, a little less. That would be big for 420. us. No, it's the largest it's been. That's the largest yeah. it's been. Uh, and that's deliberate. I mean, there's... Uh, yeah, and just about everybody here takes an active role. Right. In the field, either writing the fiction or writing about the fiction. Well, well, and almost everybody's on some kind of panel or reading. I mean, isn't everybody doing... Everybody does something. Almost. Uh, almost. And, and you get uh, graduate students and a group of undergraduates. One of the most delightful things I've seen this weekend was uh, they're, 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 the Dell Magazine Awards, which are given out by Sheila and by yep. Rick Wilbur, Phil Williams and, and Rick Wilbur. And these are for undergraduate science fiction writing. Um, and they have a winner and two runners-up every year, but uh, all 11 nominees, I guess, showed up. It's the largest group of... These are high school kids, essentially, yeah, yeah. or undergraduates. <laughs> but, so undergraduates, but as far as I'm concerned, any, anything under 30, you know, is... <laughs> But they, they really look little. I mean, they're they do cute. look young, they're, don't they? What these kids? So, so yesterday in the lobby of the hotel, all of these kids, uh, fresh-faced is the. It's you cannot uh, anything <laughs> bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and Connie Willis was standing in front of them. They were all arrayed on the floor in front of her. And she was doing what Connie Willis does, which the is being very bright, funny. upturned faces, all <laughs> gazing at Connie. Though. They were they were wiggling. They, <laughs> she would say something, and they would wiggle, and, and, and their eyes would pop open, and, and they would giggle at each other. And they, it's Connie Willis. We're talking to Connie Willis. And like, That's nice. That's a whole new generation. Well, and honestly, they're also fresh-faced and, and energetic enough to show up for an 8:30 a.m. reading. Oh yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. I hosted a reading this morning with uh, Jim Kelly, uh, Theodore Goss, and Rachel Sorsky, and um, and and all these kids were there and and hanging on every word. And uh-huh. in the Q and A afterwards, you know, the uh, the authors talked quite a bit about finding a writing process and balancing work life and school. And you know, you could uh, again, the, you could see the the kids were absolutely wrapped. I hate young people. <laughs> No, no, we need that infusion of yeah. Yeah. Do. Don't they understand that if you stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning in the bar, you're supposed to be hungover and dead till 10? Isn't that like the rule? Well, sorry, sorry, that was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. No, that, that, that was wrong, and, and you, sh- you should feel bad about that, because this is, this is our future. These are people who still believe... These are the only people who are not talking about the fact that our careers are over and the, the industry is doomed. Right. They're thinking, we have a future. <laughs> there will be a Wednesday. And so these are the people who will be pushing my, my wheelchair at a convention when I'm 65. <laughs> but um, and, and, and like all these conventions, all the best conventions that I like, even though there's a lot of programming, there is a nice pool. There's a nice bar out by the pool, which is finally open. The weather is very The weather is great. The weather is very And it's very possible, I've never been able to do this, but it's very possible to come to a convention like this and never go indoors and never end an interesting conversation. Uh, One of of my ways of defining a a successful convention uh, with interesting people is that you can go in to the restaurant for breakfast 
and about four o'clock in the afternoon, you're still sitting there because different groups of people have come in. Well, and that's, that's what I did this afternoon. I went out there and I uh, was out there all afternoon. Oh, you were at the spot. Gazebo, yeah. yeah. You know, Patricia McKillop, Steve Erickson, Steve Donaldson, or, you know, they're the one after the other. Right. Uh, Paul Park was there and, uh, oh. you know, it's just. You didn't have to move. Yeah, exactly. So tell me, does it really fit the myth that Charles Brown used to sort of create with it, that it was the beginning of the year? This is where science fiction's year really starts? Absolutely. It is for me, yeah. But in credit, since I'm the only one who goes this far back, in credit to the Charles we all know and love, for the first five years of this convention, he would say to me on the last day, this isn't going to (laughs) last. Next year is going to be over because you can't sustain this kind of thing. <laughs> so, well, and in fairness to Boscone, it does actually occur before. Oh, yeah, it has. <laughs> <laughs> you should entirely overlook Boscone, but this is certainly the beginning of the warm season of conventions. And the, and the award season, because I guess uh, we're giving out the Crawford Award tomorrow night. Uh, the BSFA Awards will be in... A uh, couple of weeks, I guess. Actually, I guess, um, I think Easter comes later than I thought it was. I think it's not going to be till late April. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Are there, are there any awards being given to anybody between now and then? I think I also need, we need to revise a concept. It's one that Gary and I have referred to on the podcast before, and it's, it's this idea of a, an award season. Because I was yeah. thinking about it, science fiction has got to the stage now where it just gives itself awards all the time. Yeah, there is. <laughs> what do you mean season? It just continues. <laughs> yeah, we're fabulous. So. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I so think awards, awards are recognition. That's how we ma- let everybody else know that this is important. I thought you were going to say that it's we're also, terrific. I really did. Well, we are, but you know, uh, I, I think some of this. Uh, I mean, the Hugo's actually, the whole thing goes back about fifty years. I mean, the Hugo's go back to what fifty three, fifty four, yeah. something like that. Uh, and I think part of that was a recognition that nobody writing this field was going to get any kind of an award from outside this field. Uh, yeah. and, and, and so we, we had to provide some kind of recognition for, for each other. It, it, it may have gotten a little bit... Out of um, hand? <laughs> I was going to say enthusiastic. <laughs> well, uh, there, we've given an award, we give an out, uh, a scholarship award here. Uh, there, are two, there are two major awards for scholarship in the field. The one that we give called the uh, Internet Distinguished Scholarship Award and oh, wow. the Science Fiction Research Association Uh Gives a lifetime achievement of a distinguished scholarship award. Where is Tom getting? Tom, okay, uh, this is not a secret because Tom is uh, Tom Doherty is getting a, is getting the Steve Donaldson Award, oh, right. and I have to explain that because the Steve yeah. Donaldson Award is given to somebody who's just really a nice guy, uh, and who's and who's done things for the conference, uh, has supported the conference in important ways but who's not actually a member of the board in this sort of thing. We've given it to Steve Donaldson and a couple of other people, mm-hmm. and we're giving it to Tom because he's been very supportive of the conference all these years. Um, but uh, the scholarship award uh, that... Uh, the, the point I was making about the number of awards we give, there is a guy, that, and you may know his work, Jack Zipes, uh, yep. who's a professor at the University of... Yeah, he read some books about fairy tales, right. the he Arabian had, Nights. He said the Arabian did. Nights, he did the best translation of Grimm, He's a legend. He was one of the best folklorists uh, in the oh, United States. Oh, yeah, I read his uh, translation of the year. Uh, right, exactly. Yeah, really. Uh, and he got the Distinguished Scholarship Award, and we thought, is he even going to come? Because this guy is... He had never gotten an award before, oh. before he showed up at this conference. And one of the things you begin to realize is not, are we doing an excessive number of awards when you have distinguished people like that who've never been recognized by anybody right. before? Mm. 
and, and, and so I think the field does that. I mean, the, um, the Crawford Award is for a new fantasy writer, um, and there are first novel, uh, you know, we have first novels in the Locus Awards and, and, and so forth, but, uh, but by and large, there's not a lot of recognition for new young writers uh, coming into the field. So uh, I, I think what we're trying to do is, 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 yeah, we're being cheerleaders for each other uh, yeah. to some extent. But to some extent, we need that, and to some extent, it's uh, it's not a recognition you're going to get from anywhere else. Which is fair enough. I mean, I, I, no, I love the awards. I, was, I guess, really, I was just thinking that it occurred to me as you were talking before, just that this idea that we had of there being an award season, you know, that sort of ran from sort of about now through till World Fantasy. I, you know, the last time I was thinking about it, I realized that the awards didn't stop after World Fantasy. They just kind of, like, rolled on, and there was a little pause in... January maybe because um, well I guess because it's snowing in North America and you can't give each other awards when it's snowing and everyone got Christmas <laughs> presents so you don't need them then so it's nice but then immediately after awards again and I mean I've I've, I've done nothing but vote and nominate I don't know about you guys I voted for all the Australian awards a little while ago I've nominated for the Hugo's pretty soon we'll be asked to nominate for the World Fantasy Awards and so it will go. Nominations, Hugo nominations pop on the 26th. So. Yes, they do. We've got like what, a week now? Yeah, a week left to, to do really? that. Yeah, oh yeah. I nominated for the Sturgeon Award last week. Wait, so, Sturgeon is a nomination? Well, they, got, they, got, they get nominations from editors and people. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, yeah. It just seems to go around. I mean, I love the awards, don't get me wrong. I'm just taken by how much of them we have. Oh. And how At any rate, what I have. Anyway. You started off by saying that this is really the inauguration of that season, and it always feels that way to me. Yeah. And it certainly felt that way to Charles, that the, the, the season basically begins with March and ends with World Fantasy. Yeah. Right. And then you're right, people... I mean, well, also... This is a bit of everyone sort of digging themselves out of winter. I mean, you, co you go from your sort of cold and dreary places mm. and come to this really sunny fabulous place where everyone really just wants to talk about science fiction and I don't know about the rest of you but as far as you know other than work which is my peculiar situation other than work I haven't had this kind of immersion in the community since November right well yeah. that's it's been four months you know in, in I a, was ready you know <laughs> in fact, that's, that's kind of what I get out of the podcast too that you and uh, Gary do Jonathan is that in South Jersey I have to tell you there's not a hell of a lot of people talking <laughs> SF in my neighborhood. <laughs> so I can I can tune into you guys once a week and hear a conversation. You know, you guys have a pretty good knowledge of the field and so forth. I can hear a conversation at least about, you know, something I'm interested in. So that's one of the reasons that I, uh, you know, that I, that I listen. So similar to what what Liza is saying about you know and you don't have to go in, in search of the lost literary essay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say, for me, I mean, I'm here in the wilds of Western Australia, and there's you know, I get one go at it a year when I fly over and I fly back. You know, lately, mm -hmm. fortunately too. But the value to me of the podcast is exactly that as well, um, Jeff. It's it's a way of having that dialogue going. Because you don't get the mainline experience that you get when you walk in the doors at World Fantasy or Worldcon or Big From the Sounds of It or ReaderCon, where everybody's there and you just mainline it for four or five days. And it keeps you going for the rest well, of the I think most of us, yeah. I mean, I certainly envy people who live. Uh, um, Chicago is not uh, South Jersey, but it's not, a, it's not a lively community where everybody gets together. And I do envy people. Uh, actually, the Bay Area is livelier than Chicago. London, I 
people get together every month and they go to the BSFA interviews. Um, uh, Minneapolis has a good group of people. New York, Se definitely. Seattle has a terrific group of people. Yeah. Uh, but if you're not in a community like that, which is just the right community, then yeah, you want to listen to, you want to have conversations even when you're not participating in them. Yeah. Well, you know. it's great thing. I, I moved to Houston, and it turned out that that's where SF Signal is based. And mm -hmm. and you know those are great guys, and I love them. I talk to them on Skype, on podcasts. Well, yeah. And else. <laughs> the yeah. South side, but on the north side, it's a sixty miles. Right. Uh, you know, it's just we're yeah. such a sprawling place that it's hard to, to make those communities physically anymore. I wonder if we're getting into a culture where people don't people are nervous about meeting each other face to face. A kind of Ian Forster, huh. the machine stops society. <laughs> Um, and there, I picked this idea up because I teach a lot of online classes, and uh, almost inevitably, uh, somebody in the online class will say, "We've got to have a pizza party and meet each other face to face." And then they organize things and they figure, "Okay, we're going to meet at this point." And then over the next two or three weeks, everybody kind of drops off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I don't real. I, I really like you, and I don't know if I want to look at you. <laughs> and and right. these, these parties never happen. That really? Everybody backs off before the actual date. I don't know. There's something about, you know, I, I'm in touch with people who, uh, you know, who I know who are writers and stuff all year long. But if I can go to a convention and, you know, hang out and have a few drinks with Lucia Shepard or, you know, one of my other friends and talk about writing, yeah. uh, you know, person to person, I. There is, there is. Uh, I mean, I couldn't do it every day and fly somewhere. But, right. You know, when these things come up, it's a nice opportunity to do it, and it's much different than talking online. Oh yeah, I mean? yeah. Absolutely. There's also the sense of whatever you say online is potentially going to come back and bite you for the rest of your life. Uh, I mean, you can say something in a bar, and you can say, "Oops, I didn't mean that." Hard to do that online. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I mean, but you, you become accustomed to it. I mean, I was thinking a while ago, back when we were talking about the joys of the Locust Digital Edition and everything else, there's got to be, there's a downside to the digitization of, of life these days. Um, and there's got to be a downside to, you know, like a, a price we pay for having, well, for having Locust and being able to talk about it right on the cusp. I mean, and part of it is this idea that when you say something online, the entire world gets to respond because they're all... Right. By, by chance, either watching or dragged along to have a look at the train wreck that is your brief commentary on a subject. Um, and I, I wonder to what extent that comes into play. I mean, I've found it in another area. I mean, I've found that I, I came across a, 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 a book buyer saying, I have no idea why I bought Jonathan's latest year's best. Most of it's available online for free. And you think, okay, well, there's a downside to the digital age. I mean, they would, couldn't have the book without the, without the digital age, but, you know. That person found the downside. Um, I, I wonder if bringing us all together like this can also be a negative. Well, okay. Uh, okay, you, no, you, okay, fine. No, no, no. Well, wait, wait, it's fine. You just play along. If, when I, I went back and read some of the, the fanzine-type histories, and they had flame wars just like we have flame wars over the exact same things for the exact same reasons, except that there's took eight months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They didn't like each other for a lot longer. Right. <laughs> even longer. They'd hold grudges for decades. I mean, <laughs> right. yeah. What could be done?
done in, in a half an hour on Twitter. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, do you remember the letters years. in the SFWA bulletin? Oh. It would be it would be like six letters of people bitching at each other yeah. and then awards things. Exactly. <laughs> There was a, I, I kind of liked it, though, in a way. I know? was fascinated by that. Before there was, a, even in um, SFWA, there was this, uh, Ted Cogswell mm. had a, a fanzine called Proceedings of the Institute for 21st Century Studies, which, of course, everybody yeah. called Pit Fox. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and boy. It's been, it's been published in a big volume, and you can see the founding of Cephal happening in the pages of this fanzine. And Kurt Vonnegut was there. Everybody was there. And a lot of the, a lot of this important work was going on about organizing science fiction writers uh, to protect themselves. But a lot of it was just flame wars and snip and, and, and you know you you, you know you shouldn't be on this board because and it's, I keep thinking that and the old before that the amateur press association that Lovecraft and that group was in. You read those things and you're absolutely right. They're flame wars on a blog. Yeah, exactly. I mean the dynamic hasn't changed. It just sped up. I mean now if you have a flame war that lasts a week, it's you know, an epic that will be remembered. You know what? And the flame wars never die. They're like these, they go dormant for a while because the same issues pop up every year, man. It's like, all right, here we go on this one again. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's kind of cute when you get to when they get to the part where they're all apologizing to each other. Well, well, you know. Someone says, oh, there's this thing going on. Oh, look, no, they're all making up. Well, it's, you know, there's something nice about having been through it. And, right. and been and been embroiled in them. Now, if you've seen all this stuff for a while, then you sit back and just watch the fly crawl closer to the fly trap. You know, <laughs> something nice. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember being disappointed this year because the annual reviewers' introspection, navel gazing, uh, flame thing happened while I was on Thanksgiving vacation. I missed it. Bum on. You know, I'll have to pick it up again in 2011. <laughs> now, what you do is the fact that you don't have an archive of all this. That's the, yeah. You're able right. to go back and read these things because they were in print. Right. So passing the blogosphere is over and gone. So you said you missed it. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's well, you know, you know what's nice about some of the, the anthologies that Jeff and Ann Vandermeer do is they go back and resurrect that stuff and they include it with the, the stories. Like in the new weird, there was a lot of blog, blog stuff going on with that. Somehow they dug that stuff up and they and they uh, they they preserved it in the book, you know, uh, certain conversations and so forth. That's a neat idea, I think, because it gives you a sense of history as to what the conversation was on yeah, these things right. before, uh, you know. Well, and and um, when I say I missed it, I went back and read it all, but it was way too late. I mean, coming yeah. in literally a day after it wrapped up, it was way too late for me to throw in any, you know, any commentary of my own. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. what I missed. I know this really um, bothers librarians and historians and everything else, but a serious question. I mean, if you were worried about the Flame Wars of 1987, say, you could go and read Science Fiction I and read them getting medieval on Orson Scott Card overriding th that story. <laughs> if it's right. But if you have those, send them to me, please. <laughs> I absolutely that was one, of those, one of those great phrases, though, the minute you said the Flame Wars of 1987, I thought, okay, 1931 Astounding Stories could have published that story. But not going But, you know, there's something less charming about the blogs than when you go yeah. back and you look at some of those, those scenes and the, and the, and the, the cut-up artwork they did and yeah. the cartoons by, art, by writers and stuff that, you know, you don't get all that all the time. Uh, recently, I was involved in this project, uh, The Secret Lives of Laird Barron, 
Oh, yeah. uh, I don't know, that we did, you know, a bunch of us wrote stories about Laird Barrett, all right, these secret lives that he had. For, for your listeners, Gary and Jonathan, I'm telling people to go check out Kurt Dynan's blog mm-hmm. uh, and his piece, which is a multimedia thing, which mm-hmm. reminded me of the old zines because he's got this, I'm not even going to tell you what it is, but just check it okay. out and you'll see that it reminds you of those old zines in the way that they you know they intersperse pictures and text and so forth mm-hmm. okay i have to say having met laird a couple of times he does strike me as the kind of guy who looks like he could have a, have had a couple of secret lives <laughs> he is a dramatic presence that's true <laughs> i mean for those of you who have never seen him he's a very hale hardy looking guy with a big bushy black beard and an eye patch so you, you know, and you figure, and he lives like somewhere like up up in the you know the woods outside Seattle or somewhere. So I assume every now and again he looms out of the dark in the morning mist with a, an axe in his hand and says good morning, and somebody dies of a heart attack spontaneously just like that. Yeah, he, 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 he basically is Winter's Bone the movie. Um, <laughs> but he's the sweetest guy. He's soft spoken and he's thoughtful and he's very well read. He is. Yeah. We should, we should as a parenthesis. I don't think we ever introduced. Curtis, <laughs> no. but Curtis Potterville, who made an interesting comment, and who is also uh, the, the contributor the, the, to the pregnancy. The, 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 <laughs> yes. Congratulations, Curtis. And Gary didn't tell me you were there. Otherwise, I'd have introduced you as well. So. And also the savior of this podcast when I couldn't get the Wi-Fi to work. Ah, okay. That's where Gary was going. That's where I was right. going. Yeah. That, but, but, but Curtis had made a comment which might have puzzled people. Curtis is also on the board of this organization, as am I, I can't remember your title now. Techno. Techno. The IAFA. The uh, IAFA Techno. Whatever. Uh, techno. Techno. <laughs> well, we so, all need one of those. Welcome, Curtis, as well. Yes. Uh, to the podcast. So we are, um, after this, I don't, and Jonathan, you're going to go out and do wonderful things with your family. No, I'm going to sit around and do taxes, Gary. Oh. I did those before I left, so that's terrible. Well, we have some warm night air to breathe in yet. And we have people uh, people waiting for us at the bar. I hate uh, you. Downstairs. I hate you all. And, 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 and at the bar, out by the pool, and some of them may be in the pool. Um, and the hot tub. Or in the hot tub. Yeah. See, it may be for the wind not seeing that. I'm not sure that's a good thing. I've always been unsure about this pool and hot tub thing. I've met people in the science fiction field, and I adore science fiction, those people, but the hot tub, really? <laughs> you better I mean, hope it, it's really hot. You're going to hope they've got a lot of chlorine. Just a lot. I knew you were going to go there. You have, to, you have to imagine everyone up to their shoulders in water, and it's fine. Well, and it's also, it's fairly charmingly dark. <laughs> that, that helps a lot. So, mm-hmm. Ikfa with the lights out. I was going to ask, <laughs> yeah. just briefly, is there something that sort of attracts science fiction uh, conferences to um, to Florida? I noticed yesterday, I don't know if any of you did, that the uh, fabled Key West Literary Seminar next year in January is going to be a science fiction one on the theme of y- Yet Another World. Uh, Joe Haldeman was telling me about that for the first time this afternoon. Yeah. I hadn't heard about it. So they've got like what Margaret Atwood and Bill Gibson and Jonathan Lethem and Joyce Carol Oates. Jonathan, where else would you go in January? Well, yeah, I got to say, I'm looking at this thing going. Maybe next year, screw World on World Fantasy. Maybe I want to go to Key West. That looks good. Well, and I I know that January going to to a warm place in January doesn't have the same charm for you as it does for the rest of us. But 
most of our country is in snow in January, and snow. so Florida is purely delightful for most people. So. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, those are. Sorry. Just that for most of the season, Butte, Montana has remarkably few science fiction conventions. <laughs> You know, we always, I don't, know if I, I don't know if you ever saw this, but Robert Freeman Wexler, the writer, and, yeah. and myself, somehow, I forget who's responsible for this, we came up with this idea called CrapCon, which was a con <laughs> that was in like, you know, some out-of-the-way place in New Jersey on a highway somewhere, <laughs> and there was no programming, you just went and got a room and drank. Which <laughs> sounds like a perfect con to me. <laughs> And it could be in any weather. It doesn't matter, you know. That's well. I mean, let's face it. I mean, that's what I do at a, con a convention, and I'm you, sure it's what. You have to come up with an award, though. <laughs> <laughs> the golden turd. Well, I don't know. No, not yeah. necessarily the that. <laughs> the crappies. <laughs> the crappies. Oh no, no, no. This is obviously all beginning to fold horribly apart. So let me just sort of, <laughs> yeah, briefly wait, go. Wait, Jonathan, we've all been sharing. Uh, it's not just me. I mean, the wine is gone. The wine, the wine is gone, and um, Gary uh, made me drink. I have been abstaining. I just want everyone to know that so you don't get angry letters about child abuse. <laughs> so, so tell me, as we go around the room, then what does twenty? You know, it's the beginning of the science fiction year, right? So, what does 2011 hold for you guys? I mean, obviously for Curtis and Karen, some of that's fairly self-evident, and congratulations again. What but it does not hold is uh, Worldcon or World Fantasy or ReaderCon. Oh, that's, I'm, I'm disappointed yeah. to hear that. The, the, the little one has decided to make its appearance smack at the peak of uh, con season, but we will be back on the circuit, we hope, in 2012. And Jeff? I don't know. I'm just taking it. I'm. I'm just thinking about going down to the bar at this point. <laughs> I, I can't think beyond it. <laughs> you have something coming up this year? Um. You've got a book coming out in April. I've got His a book, book coming out. out in April. My, my every, okay. I got. No, the downstairs. Evaporating genres is downstairs. There's a third book of reviews that should be out. I hope in time for yeah. EasterCon, which, by the way, has the coolest picture of me ever. I. I, I nobody <laughs> likes pictures. <laughs> That's the most egotistical thing, but yeah, okay. Yeah, I was I was yeah. at at, um, at Neil's at Neil Gaiman's birthday party. Carl Cassidy, who is a phenomenal photographer, yes. who can make who can take really good photographs of people so that you can't tell who it is, had a photograph of me with my pipe backlit with some spotlight, and it could be anybody. It could be Peter Laurie in a '40s movie, <laughs> um, which is fine, uh, and that's that's why I like it. In fact. Is that the one that Farrah has on her? has it on her on her phone. She right. showed it to me. Yeah. That it, 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 it could be anybody. Exactly. It looks like a, it looks like a, I don't know. It, it's, 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 like, it's the either the front of an easy listening album or it's the, you know, the back of a really literary novel. Yeah, so yeah it, it could be Bean Crosby, but it's on yeah, my Facebook. Exactly. It's, anybody who wants to see it, I, I put it on my Facebook page. No, it's a great, well, it's a really it's a great photo. wiki page, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's know a that. great photo. Uh, but yeah, I'll be going to, uh, uh, well, no, I won't be going to World Fantasy. You won't? Uh, um, cause because of a bat mitzvah for my granddaughter. Yeah. Wow. On that Saturday. Shocking. So, Are you going to ReaderCon? Oh, ReaderCon I'll be I'll at. probably be going Actually, to that. Let's go to ReaderCon, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll do another podcast from ReaderCon. Excellent. Deal. <laughs> so what you're telling me basically is there's no point where, where all of us will be together this year. 
Well, there's, there's Worldcon. Yeah, there's Crapcon in New Jersey, which is <laughs> <laughs> renovation. We'll just renovation. Renovation in Reno, but but Karen and, and, and Curtis won't no. be. There. No. And will you be at renovation, Jeff? What is? I don't. I'm not aware of it. It's Worldcon. Oh, I. You know what? Uh, I have nothing against it, but I don't go to Worldcon. It's too big for me. I walk around days most of the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, too, too much. And uh, I like the stuff that's smaller, more laid back. Uh, World Fantasy and ReaderCon, uh, something like uh, this. I haven't been here in 10 what years. What about the Nebulous? They're in D.C. No, nah, I'm not. I, I don't, these, those are the three that I basically like to do, yeah. you know? Everybody has the ones they like. I mean, yeah. well, and they're, they're also the ones that are like family reunions, where you see the same people every mm, yeah. year. You pick yeah. conversation uh, that you started a year ago. I've been to the World Cons before, and they were, you know, uh, interesting and fascinating, and but too much for me. Yeah. I mean, the World you know, it's too, a much better size. Yeah, it's it's more and easygoing a little better. bit. <laughs> oh, I'm wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know that that was out in Arizona, yeah, I think. Right. Yeah. Was, you know, people never let me there. forget that. I, it was an extraordinary moment. Yeah, why? I just remember laughing <laughs> maniacally, and this, and, and then the cops came after, right after I left. The cops came I, to break I, up an arm wrestling. I was laughing, and and I was cracking on. Uh, you know, we were we were doing it. We were. I was laughing so hard, and we were making so much noise that, and then we got up and split. And then I heard like five minutes later the cops came and they were looking for us. Who's that guy? That's right. Where is that guy from? Yeah. Ah well. Well, I hope that I'll get a chance to see each of you uh, at some point. I mean, obviously, I suspect not Karen, you know, Karen and Curtis, which is unfortunate. Uh, and maybe we'll catch up on podcasts. I mean, I'm I'm particularly happy that we got you in today, Eliza, because I know we've been eager to talk to you sort of since we started up. So it, it, I'm really happy that happened. No, I have wanted to join in a, a Code Street podcast for a long time so and jeff feels like he's part of the family well i appreciate it thank you it was it, it has been a pleasure yeah it's been Absolutely. fun <laughs> and, uh, okay i will talk to you again next week okay Jonathan. well on that ha happy happy note i will say at least recording wise farewell to you all and thank you very very much i hope you continue to enjoy ICFA. thank you thanks, thanks.